Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. This is a CBC podcast. Hey, listeners, we have a special bonus episode for you today from another podcast we think you might like called One in Six. Hormone injections, transvaginal ultrasounds, countless appointments, tears, anxiety, shame. Jen has carried this heavy secret for two years. She and her husband can't get pregnant. But as she starts to open up to family and friends about their fertility issues, she discovers how stunningly common it is for people to struggle with conception. Join CBC journalist Jen White and her husband, Neil Hyde, in this eight-part series on their heart-rending and intimate years-long journey. We have the first episode of One in Six for you right now. Have a listen. Every passenger on this tiny cigar tube is angry. We just ran full speed from one end of the Edmonton airport to catch this connecting flight to Calgary. They held the plane for us. I plop down in my seat and check the time. Uh-oh. The passengers are about to be even more furious with me. I call the flight attendant over, and we have a hushed conversation. I have to have my next hormone injection within the next 10 minutes. She says we can use the back galley but make it quick. I try to avoid eye contact with everyone on this jam-packed flight as me and my husband Neil scurry towards the back of the plane. I pull across the thin curtain, pretending it's giving us any kind of privacy. I'm beyond stressed. If I don't get this needle right now, this entire trip will be a bust. All of the drugs I've been taking for the past few weeks, all of the medical appointments, all of the transvaginal ultrasounds... All of the shame, the looping anxiety, none of it matters if this needle doesn't happen before we take off. Neil is crouched on the grimy floor. It's dark back here, and he's fumbling with needle tips and vials. He needs to mix the medicine before he gives me the injection. We hear the flight attendant coming down the aisle. She stage whispers through the curtain. Are you just about done? The plane is ready, we need to leave. One second, I anxiously respond. Pinching a chunk of skin on my belly, ready for the shot. Beads of sweat pouring down my face. Neil tries to calm me down with one of his million-dollar smiles and taps the syringe to release the air bubbles. How did we end up here? This is One in Six a podcast about fertility issues. I'm your host, Jen White. I'm a reporter and producer with CBC News in St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador, on an island on the most eastern point of Canada. I tell other people's stories for a living. But this is my own story. It's deeply personal, and I'm not even sure if I should share it. It took me years to tell close family and friends. 
and I don't even know you. But here it goes. I'm 35 years old. Neil and I have been married since 2015, and he makes me laugh every single day. We're happy, super happy. There's just one little problem. We can't get pregnant. like a lonely journey. But we're not the only ones struggling. Far from it. The numbers is pretty consistent um, from one province, one country to another. It's about one in six couples. Really? It's exceedingly common. So you, I guarantee you, you know couples that have gone through this, but you probably haven't talked to them about it because it's a very private thing oftentimes. One in six, pretty much universally. Tremendous numbers of couples. The World Health Organization says infertility affects about 15% of reproductive-aged couples across the globe. That's estimated to be as high as 186 million people, almost five times the population of Canada. Over the course of these eight episodes, you'll get an intimate view of what infertility looks like for a couple that's struggling to conceive. You'll have access to our hopes, thoughts, fears, and tears as we navigate assisted reproductive technologies to try to have a child. A journey that many experience all over the world, but very few talk about openly. You feel like you're a little bit broken and you don't want anybody else to know. It's just that protective wall barrier that you put up, but I think it makes things worse. Over time, it gets harder and harder to cope with it. It's difficult as it is. You, your lifestyle completely changes. You can't do the things you normally would. I think a lot of it is that it's just painful to bring up. You know, women's health issues tend to be very quiet and secret and people don't discuss them a whole lot, which is truth be told a bit of a shame. There's so many ups and downs. Like it can be so exciting. And then like when it doesn't work and you're just completely heartbroken and devastated, it's probably like the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. If you're struggling, I'm sorry you're going through this. I hope this podcast brings you some comfort, knowing you're in good company. If you're not struggling, you definitely know someone who is. I hope this sheds some light on how to love and support that person, because they're going through a grueling process that is physically, mentally, emotionally, and financially exhausting. Trust me, I know all too well. My local fertility clinic is in a large gray and tan medical center, wedged between the airport and a retail area with big box stores. It's a busy spot for blood collection, and there's a pharmacy and a small coffee shop on the ground floor. We were referred here when things weren't happening on the baby front. It's 2018, and Neil and I have been coming here for over a year now. I wear sunglasses and skulk in like a spy in a thriller. I don't want anyone to recognize me. St. John's is a small city, and I'm on the air from time to time for work. I dread walking down this long hallway with Fertility Clinic printed in big, bold letters on a sign hanging above my head, worried that a family member or an acquaintance or a viewer might spot me. I don't want anyone to know my secret. 
I can barely even say it to myself. I don't even know how to say it. I'm what? Infertile? Barren? Sterile? I hate those words. Getting through the door is not the worst part. The hall and waiting area are lined with baby pictures. Infants conceived with the clinic's help. They're the success stories. But I can barely look at them. All of those little bundles of joy make me feel like a complete failure. Kids never used to be on my radar. I was an independent woman focused on my career. Okay, I admit it. I might have been a little cynical, too. Then Neil Hyde came crashing into my world. Hi. A musician and graphic designer from Outport, Newfoundland, he was smiling from the moment I laid eyes on him. I soon learned he might actually be the happiest man on the planet. He comes from a big family, a home filled with laughter, love, music, and wit. It's been an amazing year, and I want many, many more years ahead. When he proposed, we were at the very top of the London Eye. Strangers squealed and clapped with delight as Neil got down on one knee. It was like something out of a fairy tale. We tied the knot on a farm in St. John's, surrounded by our family and friends. And since then, we've been busy. We both work full-time, and we play in a band together called Tomorrow's Hangover. Will you marry me, my love? We'll be together all time. That's Neil singing and playing guitar. And that's me singing harmonies and playing the drums. Will you marry me, marry me, love? What? We have two fur babies. A 10-pound Yorkie named Colby. On, He's the boss of the household. And at a nearby barn, a standard bred named Victor. A retired racehorse who's addicted to mints. Mm. Want some more mints, Vic? A year into married life, we finally had our honeymoon in Greece. And that's when we started thinking about babies. I knew Neil would be a wonderful father. For the first time, I felt that itch to grow our family, to have a child of our own. So, we started trying. All around us, friends started getting pregnant. And it seemed so easy. Stories of, you know, we were thinking about having a baby, and boom, just one time. That's all it took. One time, and we were pregnant. Just like that. For Neil and I, it never worked that way. It wasn't just one time. It wasn't just 20 times. For the past two years, getting my period at the end of every month is a huge disappointment. Streams of tears every 28 days. As time went on, my desire to have a baby grew. This inexplicable yearning from somewhere deep inside me. I want to be a mom so badly, but what happens if I can't be? What if there are no maternity photos, no birth announcements, no family photo shoots, no sounds of little feet running down the hall after me, no little voice saying, 
Mama? I feel it most during the holidays. Every Christmas morning, there's this moment between me and Neil where we look up at the tree and look around at our silent living room. Without saying a word, we fall into each other's arms and hold on tight. I know he feels this too. This sadness, this emptiness. And hoping that one day, our house won't be this quiet on December 25th. Here's what our fertility journey has looked like so far. First, we tried the rhythm method, timing intercourse to my suspected ovulation, amped up with hormone pills. It didn't work. So after a few months, we decided to move ahead with what's called an IUI, or intrauterine insemination. It's a timed process that, in theory, sounds like it should work. You put the egg and sperm as close together as possible, at just the right moment, to maximize the chance that they will create that elusive embryo. In the last year, we've gone through five IUIs. Each time, we've dealt with handfuls of hormone drugs and needles, walks down the baby picture hall of shame, multiple internal ultrasounds, driving around town with semen samples in your armpit to keep them warm, and more time in stirrups than I would probably wish on anyone. And I'm a horseback rider. It's a lot of effort, and in the end, all we've gotten is a sad stick I've just peed on with a big fat negative. But we've decided we're going to try again with cycle number six, the make or break cycle. Why make or break? Well, if this one doesn't work, our doctor says we'll have to explore other options, more expensive, more invasive procedures, like in vitro fertilization a treatment that's not even available in our province. Now we're recording. Now we're recording. Now we're recording. Okay, here we go. Yeah. October 21. So it's almost 1130 on October 21st. <laughs> it's the night before IUI number six. Oh, yeah. Um, so how are you feeling? Hmm. Uh, nervous, I guess, uh, excited. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, but the whole thing, I mean, it just seems like it's, you know, the phrase, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But, you know, there's so many factors involved and the timing and the people and, and, and emotions. And it's, it's a little stressful because it's a lot on you, right? It's a lot of pressure on you. And it's, it's so hard, um, seeing you go through all those, those dips and, and dives and you know, my part of it is is pretty uh, simple. In when you look at all the <laughs> all the rest of stuff you got to do that you have to do, pretty important though. Very very important. <laughs> I, I take great pride in, in what I have to do. I, I don't take it lightly. Uh, uh, just knowing you know what's coming up. The sixth time means this should be nothing new. You know where we've been through it before. Number six is the make or break it though. Really. Oh, well, yes. the doctor said yeah. that number six is that if the IUI doesn't work, that it's kind of the signal to maybe go down other avenues of things. Okay. Yeah, that's right. The problem. Did, did, did you forget? I forgot. I thought it was seven. Because <laughs> seven is more lucky. Um, yeah, that's right. The problem. The problem with other avenues is 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 more expensive and probably traveling and. 
trip to Calgary. Is that what that is? Is that the next one? Yeah. But yeah, yeah. IVF is the next one. Okay. Which also means more hormones for me. So oh, yes. yay. Yay. <laughs> so what do you feel about it? Uh, I hate this time. Yeah. It's yeah. actually my least favorite time. Um, it's knowing we've done it enough times now that it's not a new procedure, but it's still awful. Yeah. I should probably explain why it's so awful. This process takes over your life for weeks at a time. I feel like I'm always sneaking out of work to go to the fertility clinic or tracking the days of my cycle or filling prescriptions and scheduling sex. Then there are the drugs. We started with hormone pills, but by the fourth round of IUI, the doctors added injections. The hormones make me batty. I go from feeling furious to depressed to completely overwhelmed with the simplest of tasks. And I have no control over any of it. Like my body isn't my own. I guess it's a sense of dread, but also a sense of dread wrapped up with knowing that things probably won't change. So why am I putting myself through this again? And like, so do I want it that badly? I don't know. I, I do. There are times I think I do. And there are other times when, say, I have to walk into that clinic tomorrow morning when yeah. I'm not going to want to be there. You got you to be more of a uterus half full, not uterus half empty. <laughs> Maybe that'll be the name of this feature. <laughs> so that's why I could keep going yes. back because of your stupid jokes that I love so fantastic, much. Fantastic jokes. You said you said you spelled fantastic wrong there. Um, yeah, and that's the thing. Well, the thing that um, we talked about it a lot, um, especially when you see kids run around and friends are pregnant and having babies and all that stuff. And, you know, you don't have any resentment for it because it's amazing and it's great. Um, and, I, th you know, I think it's wonderful. And, and to all our friends out there who have and will have babies, it's it's amazing. Love you guys and, and gals so much. But the thing is, um, there's so much of it out of our control. In in one way, it's a shame almost that it's, they can't pinpoint what it is, where it's, it's, it's an unexplained fertility issue. Um you know, if we could point out a thing and say, okay, that's that's the issue, and then we we have something to focus on and something to fix, we don't know, and and the doctors don't know, and so it's just, you know, let's, let's try it again, that kind of thing, which is which is kind of uh, frustrating and scary, because you don't know how it's going to turn out, and your hope, your expectations are high, and your hopes are high, uh, and then when, uh, you know, in a few weeks time, it doesn't, it you know. If it doesn't happen again, then you're you're down again, and it's such such a roller coaster of emotions, and it's tough, right? Um, but you know, I, I feel you you take the brunt of it um, more so than me, just because of the the hormones and the mm -hmm. and the societal pressures and all that kind of stuff. Is yeah, it's not the clock is ticking. Tick tock, tick tock. <laughs> hey, congratulations on your marriage. You pregnant yet? And it's like, oh my god. It's nice to be a part of a, a joyous outcome. Uh, Dr. Sean Murphy is one of three fertility doctors at my clinic in St. John's. 
He isn't seeing me through this make-or-break round of IUI, but Dr. Murphy has examined me in the past. He's a kind and gentle man who always takes the time to answer my questions during appointments. But today, I'm wearing my work hat. I'm asking him questions as a journalist. It's easier for me that way. Can you give me a rundown of what happens in those insemination procedures? But basically what happens is that we do an ultrasound at the beginning of the woman's menstrual cycle, around day three or so, to take a look at the uterus to make sure there's no um, unexpected polyps or fibroids, make sure that the ovaries look nice and quiet, meaning that there's no cysts or anything there. And then you take medications for a few days. Then we do another ultrasound about a week after that first one to monitor your response to those medications to make sure that the ovaries have responded well enough and not too much. What comes next is when the follicle is large enough or it's ready, we think that there's a really good chance of having a mature egg in there and that the line of the uterus looks nice and thick, ready to catch a fertilized egg or an embryo. We give a trigger shot in the belly. So that induces a hormonal boost to induce final oocyte maturation or final egg maturation and release. Mm -hmm. And within about 24 to 36 hours after that egg release, we do an insemination with the partner's sperm. Dr. Murphy says the male partner collects and drops off a semen sample to the clinic's lab. The lab prepares the sample with a sperm wash, and then the best sperm from that sample are inserted directly into the female's uterus. And then we wait a few weeks and see what happens. And what's, uh, what's the success rate there? The success rate for the IUI procedures is about 12 to 14 percent. That's roughly our overall success rate. Mm-hmm. Which seems low for a lot of work. <laughs> It does. It's a lot of effort for uh, a lower success rate. Dr. Murphy says the clinic does about 800 of these IUI cycles each year. So I was diagnosed with unexplained infertility, which I think is the most frustrating because it's unexplained. You can't tell me what's wrong. Um, How common is that? We we see that fairly commonly, too. And it's a very frustrating diagnosis, both for the couple and for the physician, because we look on paper, things look fine and normal. You know, the sperm counts are good, the egg is being released, the tube look nice and open. There's no real modifiable risk factors that we can do to try to fix. Have you had many couples who have just reached the end of the road and then you haven't been able to help them? Like, that's it? Yeah, more than I care to admit. As physicians, as surgeons, we do what we can to fix the issue. And our goal for every patient is to get that result. Um, and we've all, I guarantee you, every physician at the clinic could list you eight, 10, 12 couples that stand out in their memory that decided, you know, we're just going to stop trying. Um, and that's tough as a physician, but I mean, we think of that more in terms of the couples, how tough it is for them. Mm-hmm. Well, there's nothing easy about the procedure at all. Um, it's incredibly difficult. Patients have had a really hard go by the time they even cross our doorway into our clinic because they've been trying for a long time to start a family, um, which is oftentimes one of the most important things you can do as a couple. Um, so they've had a hard time before they even set foot in our door. So there's nothing about the process that's easy for them. success rate for IUI is 12 to 14 percent. I can't get those numbers out of my head. Math is not my strong suit, but I know those odds aren't great. I'm leaving the clinic after my first appointment for this make-or-break cycle, and despite Neil's optimism, I just can't shake this feeling of dread. This feeling that it's all pointless, that I'm putting myself through this physical trauma and this mental turmoil 
And for what? Another negative pregnancy test? More disappointment and heartache? Go for you. <laughs> Hi. Hey there. How's it going? Good. How are you? More important. I'm fine. It just took all morning, which I was not banking on. Of course. So I've but, got I, okay. I've, I've got two bags of pills. Ooh. Yeah, look. I've got this one. Nice. And then I've got this one. Good. Yeah, yeah. I've got a bag of injections and a bag, oh, okay. and then a bag of uh, pills. They decided to put me the overlap the injections and the pills this time by an extra day, so that should be a lot of fun. I was told to warn yeah. you. Okay, I'll get the um, I'll get all the tissues ready. Some, uh, Netflix. I was thinking more like do you need bear spray or something to keep me back, but here we go. <laughs> Uh, if yeah, I turn into okay. like a, a rage bear or something, who knows? Um, so yeah, it was awful coming in and, uh, yeah, yeah I had, my, my anxiety was in high gear, even though I know it wasn't a big deal today, but I had, um, a big ball in the middle of my chest that was kind of there all morning, especially, and it got okay. larger on the drive in, but, uh, and then the waiting for a problem, like close to an hour was also not very fun. But that didn't help. No, yeah. but it's funny because the the waiting room was like half full. It's not very big, and everyone is just sitting there staring at their phones. So yeah, well, they do have really good Wi-Fi there. So <laughs> that is true. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, so okay. so day four done. But everything is everything's looking good, like normal, looking good. Yeah, she said the lining was thin and everything looked good. So and she said okay. I I responded well last time to um, yeah. The, the treatments and things, so fingers crossed okay. that it's the same again this time. All right, okay. okay. So when, when do you start the pills? Uh, I don't know. Soon, Wait. I think. Yeah. Hang on. Let's find out. Okay, it starts today. Okay. All right, we got this. We got this. All right, so I got to rush back to work now. Hey, sweetheart. Thanks for calling. All right, I love you. Okay, love you too. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. bye. moment, it must have been 15 years ago. I was in my early 20s, in the car with my mom one evening. I can't even remember where we were coming from. She and dad had just helped me pay for something. I don't know what it was. I grew up as an only child, and I might have been a little spoiled. I remember joking with mom, how will I ever repay you? She said, just have a little girl of your own someday, and spoil her as much as we have spoiled you over the years. I smiled. Okay, Mom, I can do that. The thing is, I really want to do that. Not just for me and Neil. I want my mom and dad to be grandparents. They'd be so good at it. Mom and I have had a lot of chats in the car over the years. One day, when I was about a year into my fertility struggles, I finally opened up to her about all the trouble we were having as tears ran down my face. But she wasn't shocked or surprised. Mom said she had a feeling something was going on. 
Why do you think I never asked you or pressured you about when you were going to have kids, she said. Okay, cup of tea. Okay, are you ready? I'm totally ready. I could sense she was a little nervous with the recording equipment on. Right. I know I know you have no trouble talking. <laughs> you know me well. <laughs> I have trouble not talking. <laughs> Mom and Dad eloped in 1974. They were just 21 when they got married in a small cottage on the outskirts of town, dressed in their best hippie duds, bell-bottoms, flowy tops, and long hair. Fun fact, my dad still has his long hair. I knew that story before I sat down with my mom, Ellen. What I didn't know was how I came into the world and the struggles that my mom and dad faced while trying to have me. This is the first time we've spoken openly about it. When did you start trying to have me? Your dad had to finish university. I was already, I had just graduated. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then basically we saved up a down payment and we bought a house and then we got moved in the house and got some furniture and stuff, and at that point decided, okay, now we're ready. So that's when we, uh, we started hoping. And, but it took, it took a couple of years, more than a couple of years, I think. And back in those days, I mean, there was, there was no information about it. I knew nothing about infertility or problems. Um, tried to do a bit of research on it, but there was no internet, there was nothing available. And in Newfoundland, I mean, there was, I don't even think there was a specialist at that point who specialised in infertility problems. So um, very limited choices and very limited help here at that point, right? So basically you're on your own. Um, it wasn't something anybody talked about. It wasn't an issue for anybody I knew. Everybody was just having babies and no problems, and we were going around kind of wondering why it wasn't happening for us, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Got checked up and all that stuff, but, I mean, it was just, there was no diagnosis or anything. It just wasn't, it just wasn't happening. Was there anyone that you, that you spoke to about it? I mean, it's, it's a heavy load to carry quietly. Yes, and I'm a talker. Yeah. (laughs) I deal with things by talking them out, but, um... No, I don't, re- it's a long time ago, but I honestly don't remember talking to anybody about it. Mm-hmm. I really don't. It was like I said, it wasn't a topic. It wasn't something you talked about. It was something really difficult to talk about. Even now it's difficult to talk about it. So you had to be happy for everybody around you, all my friends and, and fan, you know, people who were getting pregnant very easily. And, you know, you'd hear the story, I was, oh, I'm thinking I might want to get pregnant. And then two days later, oh, well, guess what? I already was, right? So those were the kinds of conversations I was involved in. I guess it was an element, too, of, you know, what, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with your father? What's wrong with us? Like, what have we done wrong? What are we doing wrong? You know, what's, is, is it, you know, there just was no answer. And when people told you that they were pregnant, was it difficult to hear the news? It was really, it was always difficult, Yeah. It gave me hope, and I was happy for them, right? Mm-hmm. I was happy for them. There was definitely an element to that. And sort of back, you know, at that age when people are having babies and stuff, that's that's what's going on with everyone around you. And, you know, as long as you're still hoping, you're going to get there. And maybe next month is going to be me, right? So you could deal with that. But there was also, um, how do I describe it? It was like a knife through your heart when you heard it because... It wasn't you this time, and 
there was no baby this month. And so it was, um, it was a long and constant cycle of complete hope and optimism and absolute grief and despair. And it was a roller coaster that you rode every month, right? Until it got to the point, um, like I said, where, you know, you just come to start to accept it or realize that you have to accept it and you try to get off the roller coaster because it gets really hard. It gets really hard. And with the dawning realization that, you know, it's not going to be you next month, right? That's, that's hard. It's going to be great. Six times a charm. I've often heard that. Where have you heard that? Yeah, right now. As we get ready for round six of IUI, my mind is racing. What if it doesn't work? Do we try IVF? Are we even candidates for it? I know it costs a lot, but just how much? And where are we getting that money? I know it's going to be more invasive than IUI. But how much more invasive? And will I be able to handle it? Rein it in, Jen. You've got to concentrate on the task at hand. There's a lot riding on this IUI cycle. It's it's a shame. It's too bad we're at the sixth go of it. Uh, in a perfect world, we wouldn't even need one, or we'd only have to do one. But um, reassurance is always when we go in that room uh in the waiting room there's we're not the only ones there mm-hmm. um there's a lot of people in and out a lot of other patients there's a lot of pictures on the wall of babies uh successful baby stories so it's uh it works you know it it might take a while and then it might not work at all you know in in the back of my mind that's always there too and and we got each other and we'll we'll get through it um it's just a shame that if we go and go and go and it doesn't doesn't work out that'll be that'll be a real shame i think we'll be great moms and dads neil and i are one in six think about that it's a huge number of people all over the world you definitely know someone dealing with infertility my own mother struggled with it and we never talked about it until now I'm tired of keeping this secret. Tired of putting on a brave face and trying to hide all of the pain and anxiety that the last few years have brought on. That's why we're finally sharing our story. Because no one should have to go through this alone. So I'm the one who's been very uncomfortable in even mentioning it to family members, which took a long time to going through all of these things over the last, say, year and a half now. Yeah. And to getting this point where I have a recording device Hmm. in our bedroom the night before (laughs) the sixth round of my my IUI cycle. You've come 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 a long way. Yes, yeah. (laughs) But what did you think about this whole thing? I know you've been more open or more wanting to tell people than I have. So what are your thoughts on yeah, that? I, I think it's great. Um, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff people don't talk about enough. And it's it seems like it's an issue that it's it's there's a stigma attached to it. So 
you don't want to talk about it because people feel they're broken or I'm doing something wrong or they're doing something wrong, uh, which is not the case, you know, and you, you're, you're not the only one. It's something that people just need to discuss and need to talk about more. And I do see uh, more people, especially, you know, Mother's Day and stuff, you'll see a lot of people talking about it and sharing it, but it's, you know, that they're going through the same thing or, you know, they're having issues and, 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 and whatnot, but it's, um, I feel really, really good about it. I'm so proud of you for doing it. Uh, and I, th- I think it's a wonderful way to get the word out. And I think it's going to do so much good for yourself in talking about it and, and coping with it and, and feeling good talking about it. Other people. I hope this wasn't an awful decision <laughs> that I may regret. I guess we'll see. I guess, I guess we'll see. We'll see. Hashtag, hashtag uterus have full. No, have we're not calling that this. <laughs> Next time on Uterus Half Full. I mean, one in six. Okay, so now Jen has to pick an area, wipe said area with another swab, and then stab, stab, stab. One or both of us will cry, and then we're done. Why are you saying stab, 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 though? Because oh, it sorry. should just be one stab, yeah. right? And it's not that the world doesn't care. It's that they just don't get it. They don't realize. They think, oh, well, you didn't hold the baby in your arms. It could have been worse. And truthfully, it can't be worse. There's nothing worse than not actually having the baby you were meant to have. Do you remember that moment? I remember talking to the little girl. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize you were feeling like that. I remember you walking away. Mm -hmm. So now you're going to make me cry. (laughs) One in Six was written and produced by me, Jen White. Amy Joy is our producer and sound editor. Bailey White is our producer, who also provided additional writing. And our story editor is Angela Antle. Theme song, original music, and mixing by Grant King, with additional music from APM. One in Six is a production of CBC Atlantic. Victoria King is the senior manager of creative content growth for the region. Scott Lund is the managing editor of CBC Newfoundland and Labrador. Special thanks to Iris Uday, Tanya Springer, Chantal Bernard, and Julie Ireton. And thanks to those who shared their fertility stories with us. And last but not least, special thanks to Neil Hyde. There's no one else I'd rather be infertile with. If you have a fertility story you'd like to share, we'd love to hear it. Record a voice note on your phone. Nothing fancy. Just two or three minutes of you telling your story and send it to one in six at cbc.ca or send us an email. That's O-N-E-I-N-S-I-X at cbc.ca. We'll use some of your stories on an upcoming episode later this season. You can find us online at cbc.ca slash one in six. You can follow one in six on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this show, please help other people find it. Rate and review it, or tell a friend. Thanks so much for listening. That was the first episode of the brand new podcast, One in Six. Be sure to stay tuned for a future episode of Sick Boy, where we will be talking with host Jen White about the podcast and her journey with fertility issues. You can listen to more episodes of One in Six wherever you get your podcasts. 
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.